It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardtlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. It's your host, Todd Marquardt. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. New businesses and old businesses, which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, FLPs, and we can represent those who face problems from lack of planning, like guardianships, probate, and our new attorneys can handle litigation and trial. Our staff attorneys include me, Daniel Palmer, and Alex Vollmer. The mission of Talk Law Radio is to help you Discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law, but because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only, and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information contained herein should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing and failing to do your will. Please help Adam Turcott, Alex Vollmer, and me give good information to the listeners about gun laws and gunsmithing today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for your people, our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today's show is about guns, and I just happened to support the literal interpretation of the Second Amendment to the Constitution, and especially the right to keep and bear arms. If you don't support the Second Amendment the same way I do, it's okay. We can still be friends. Um, And for real, if you have lost someone because a crime was committed with a gun. I pray pray for the Lord to uh, comfort you. Uh, But please grant me the same respect for my views that I grant to you. Uh, Today the show is about um, gun laws, uh, federal firearms licensing, and gunsmithing. Our guest, uh, Adam Turcott, will talk about his experience uh, with his FFL, Federal Firearms License, and uh, his experience as a full-time gunsmith. 
Alex Vollmer is an attorney that works for Marquardt Law Firm. He and I will talk about gun laws like the Federal uh, Firearms Act of 1938 and the Gun Control Act of 1968, as well as uh, federal firearms license regulations, opinions uh, of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, uh, the, the federal agency that governs uh, the FFL. There's four segments to today's show. The first segment will be getting to know uh, Adam, and um, as we get started introducing him. So, Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Morning. Uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Adam Turcott. I'm the owner-operator of 10X Arms, which is a full-time gunsmith shop. It keeps me really busy. <laughs> I get to meet a lot of good people. Uh, I really enjoy it. Where are you from? Uh, I was born here, uh, but you know, born to a military family, so I was raised all over. You know, did a lot of skipping around, and life just happened to bring me back to San Antonio, San Antonio, and been getting settled in ever since. It seems. Uh, how did down here. how did you get started with uh, gunsmithing? Where'd you get your education and uh, experience uh a lot of my experience was from the military um there let's see if i can hear here there we go so i was in the army uh joined after 9 11 um after that you know wanted to serve my country um after some combat tours and the experience of that uh, wanted to settle down start a family and that's part of what led me to here in san antonio and from there, it was just a matter of kind of finding your purpose in life after, you know, the military life, trying to figure out what normal civilian life is, normal mm-hmm. quotations. Um, and just things led to, you know, while I was working on my degree, I had a buddy of mine say, hey, come work with a, a friend of mine who's opening a gun shop. And so I helped him with that. And there is where I really learned to kind of take my military experience and help other people out figuring out what works for them get them situated um you know with their firearms for hunting or home defense everything else and it everything just kind of clicked in that direction uh where i really enjoy this i like working with people i like talking with people and hearing their experience and being able to relate it to my experience um from there you know i had an armor working with me at the time and i was looking for him to get some kind of formal education, um, not just, you know, YouTube gunsmithing or, Mm -hmm. you know, learning the hard way. Uh, So in doing that, you know, in searching for a good school that I'd like to have him go to, um, the uh, one of the names that came across just struck me as, oh, wow, that's funny. I I know that name. And I'll look it up online. And sure enough, it was the very first supervisor I had when I was in the Army. And so I called him up and said, hey, what's what's up with this? You know, I'm looking to the school for this armor I have working with me, and tell me about it. And just in talking to him, and after even going up and checking out the school, it just felt like I was really being led in that direction. Not so much for the armor, but for myself. And I'm like, okay, just the fact that it's this person, you know, who he is, mm-hmm. um, good reputation. I mean, normally you have to go through a full process of getting accepted into school and 
30 seconds of talking to him, he's like, you're in. He already knew. Yeah, he's like, you're set, man. You'd be great at this. Um, And since then, it's just been a ride. You know, one thing after another has just clicked, uh, whether it was, you know, coming back to San Antonio after studying in Denver. um, You went to UTSA, too, I went to UTSA and got my marketing degree uh, because that was one of those, before the military, I had done some college, and whatever I start, I want to finish. Mm Mm-hmm. It just happened to be, you know, 15 years later. Yeah. But I finished. You know, I wanted that degree and got that. And it was from there, it was like, okay, what's next? You know, um, so taking the business experience, military experience, uh, everything just kind of clicked in line with gunsmithing. Uh, I wanted to study at the school in Denver because it's one of the oldest schools in the country teaching gunsmithing. And I wanted to learn from the older guys okay uh, so you did that you learned the old way of doing the things. old way i wanted to talk to the the, the old farts that been doing <laughs> it for 30 40 years yeah. you know because it's just that experience is just priceless um, and really enjoyed it uh, awesome so when we come back from our break just a short break uh, we'll talk more to adam about his experience as a gunsmith And we'll talk to uh, Alex Vollmer about the law. So stay with us. Uh, Remember, it's Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Markport, on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And today we're talking about gun laws. So if you're interested in uh, federal firearms licensing or if you're interested in gunsmithing, this is a show for you. Stay tuned. If you recently moved to Texas from out of state, your current will, trust, and power of attorney may need to be reviewed and updated. Wills and powers of attorney are state-specific, so it might be a good idea to meet with a Texas attorney. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trust, and powers of attorney. They'll develop a strategy to tax-efficiently protect and preserve your assets, reduce family conflict, and maximize government benefits. Call today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. Back to Talk Law Radio. It's your host, Todd Markport. We're here talking about gun laws, especially the federal firearms license and gunsmithing with Adam Turcott with uh, 10X Gunsmithing here in San Antonio and attorney Alex Vollmer, uh, who practices at Markport Law Firm. Uh, he focuses on uh, probate, guardianships, estate planning, and gun trusts. Uh, also, he does uh, business law like LLCs. Uh, so, Alex, why don't you remind our listeners just something about you? Uh, where are you from? Well, I am from San Antonio. I was born here, and I've lived here most of my life. And you uh, have pretty deep roots in the community, and I'm very proud to be from here. And uh, very happy practicing law here and living here and having a family here. Went to St. Mary's Law School? Yes, sir. Awesome. Okay, Adam, tell us a little bit about uh, 10X Gunsmithing. What is it? uh, What's your mission there, would you say? Really just identify what whoever that person, whatever they need, and 
help them in that regards. I, I really try not to nail it down to uh, this is the one thing I do. I mean, I'll have somebody come in and it'll be uh, a shotgun recoil pad fit to them. You know, mm-hmm. that's something that proper length of pull gets overlooked a lot, um, and that can really matter to somebody's accuracy. But I mean, if it's uh, barrel threading for suppressors, that's very popular these days. Um, custom ARs, uh, a lot of the old school stuff. You know, you get granddad's, you know, M1 Grand or old hunting rifle that's been passed down for you know three generations now. Uh, a lot of those things need fixed up, cleaned up. You know, so everybody's individual and that's what i really like about it is just kind of taking the time individually with everybody and seeing what they need well what i read about you maybe you Uh, forgot this was that your mission was to bridge the ever-widening gap between gun building and fine craftsmanship is that it great way to put it (laughs) did you write that or did i make that up um no no i think that fits pretty well uh craftsmanship it's it's definitely um it's become a dying breed, you know, like a, a real gunsmith. Um, you did a, something for Alex, right? Uh, He's done a couple of things for me. Yeah. Will you describe what it was and why that was meaningful to you? So I had a very old um, pump-action twenty two rifle that was – it is my father's, and it was given to him by my grandfather, and it was in very, very rough shape. I mean, the finish was – it was almost bare metal, yeah. and the – Walnut stock was it, it was in terrible shape, and uh, gave it to Adam, and he put the most beautiful bluing refinish back on it, and the the wood on it, you couldn't believe how beautiful it was that that was under there, and it looks like it was off the shelf. I mean, it was mm-hmm. rusted and nasty, and it didn't shoot straight, and because it had a you know it had been. Uh, damaged it had a bulge at the very end of the barrel he took the very end of the barrel off past the um the bulge re you cut a new sight mm-hmm. and um it just looks great it shoots great and uh, it made my and gave that to my dad for christmas and i the thrill of him seeing it like that was a lot of fun See, that's and, the rewarding things it just you get some history in a lot of those and just something that y- if you go to your local gun shop, you know, you buy something off the wall, it's it's not the same as something that's been passed down like that. And even I remember, if it, that was a fun one. That, e- even just, if that item has history, it doesn't have a family history. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was uh, explaining this show to, to some friends earlier in the week, um, they said, really, you know a gunsmith? Because, <laughs> you know, they were talking about all the problems that they had and – uh, the most common problem that I've heard people that need a gunsmith is uh, I was cleaning my gun. I started taking it apart to really get everything <laughs> clean, and I couldn't put it back together, so I took you know, my sack to the yep. gun shop. That's fairly common. <laughs> I have a stack of, a sack of, I have yes. a sack of gun yes, parts at the shop right now. <laughs> no, yeah, you have somebody bring in that uh, bag of parts, and there's like, help me out here. That happens more often than you think. Um, because some of those, especially you get those 50, 60 year old guns, some of them a hundred, hundred years plus, I mean, the, the grease and gunk and everything is built up mm-hmm. and that makes a big difference, uh, being able to get in there and actually get all that out and get it back to original as original condition as you possibly can. Uh, 
one of the things I've learned in this area is, I, I mean, personally, when I started, you know, like you helped me get the business LLC up and running. Mm-hmm. And I mean, since day one, it's just been crazy busy. And it's, it's one of those things of, I really underestimated the market. There's a lot of family legacy and a lot of family guns here mm-hmm. that need to be taken care of. And I, I mean, I don't mean just taken care of as in dunked into an ultrasonic tank, but I mean like each individual part getting that attention and care and inspection of, hey, this spring is worn out. Well, it's 100 years old, so let's mm-hmm. you know fix that so that can continue on for you know three or four more generations. You know, what kind of uh, licensing or certifications do you have to have to open up a gunsmithing shop? Um, honestly, it is not as hard as you would think uh, if you're smart about it. You know, it's yeah. you. You know, you go through the ATF application. I mean, it's just fill out an application. Do you have to have an FFL to be a gunsmith? Mm, to the level that I am, yes. What um, is it, Alex, about the regulations that you would want to have that? Well, or need that? If you're in the business of firearms, and especially with an FFL. You have a specific set of rules and regulations you have to follow, whereas if you were doing gunsmithing without being fully licensed, I think it would be so hard to make sure that you weren't doing something incorrect. It's not worth doing it without an FFL. Um, You you worry about being in possession of uh, regulated NFA? You always want to worry about stuff like that, but you also have to worry about just – you know, if you are a gunsmith, but you're not necessarily an FFL, there are certain transfers between people of a firearm that the ATF says, or that you know, the law says, these are not technically transfers. Mm-hmm. You know, like a temporary transfer to a gunsmith for repair. You don't have to worry so much. Like, you don't have to do a background check, you know, mm-hmm. if he gives the gun back to you. So is that covered if you don't have your FFL? Do you fall into that non-transfer transfer? Why ask questions like that? If you're going to get into it, get into it and get the license or just remain a hobbyist. So where does this uh, federal firearms license uh, originate from in the law? So the statute um, – so there's a difference between statutes and regulations. So Congress passes – uh, they write a law and they pass it and it becomes a statute. And this particular statute is in uh, Title 18 of the United States Code and it gover- governs basically everything to do with firearms. Um, importation, manufacture, possession, licensure, repair, all that kind of stuff. And that 18 U.S.C. authorizes the attorney general to promulgate regulations mm-hmm to enforce, administer, and uh, interpret those laws passed by Congress. And so some of the the finer details of the application process, uh, how do we administrate appointments to inspect your site, inspector books, all of that is regulations um, that are then adopted by the ATF. So you alcohol, get alcohol, tobacco, firearms, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives, and then you get it gets very complicated because the ATF 
is a branch of the Treasury Department. Oh, okay. But the rules for federal firearms licensees are promulgated by the Attorney General, who is not part of the Treasury Department. So it it, it does become very overlapping, but um, – you know, they basically tell you which rules you need to follow. But just the ATF handbook uh, for federal firearms licensees is 250 pages. So, Adam, tell us about how what it was like to apply. Uh, so, yeah, filled out the application, send that to the ATF, sit back and wait. In the meantime, you know, setting up, you know, any Why other... is this funny to you? <laughs> he said <laughs> ATF and wait. <laughs> oh, oh okay. yeah. Yeah. Government. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, Especially them. Yeah. And then, you know, when they get to you, you know, they have an have an agent come out and actually interview you face to face, check out the facility, make sure you have, you know, proper security. Um, and then they go over record keeping. Record keeping is huge because I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, having an FFL enables me to have people mail things to me. Mm-hmm. You know, from Florida, Washington State, and oh, I can okay. mail them back to them. Wow. Not having an FFL, you're not able to do that. But they go over all the record keeping of. Because it's interstate, I guess. Um, Cross well, state and it's lines. FFL to FFL, or an individual to an FFL can come from an FFL back to that individual. Okay. As long as, you know, that, that's really the only changing hands is just between mm-hmm. us. Um, and so record keeping is a big thing, you know, when it comes to background checks and. The form 4473 is one of those that they hammer. Um, what uh, information goes on that form? Uh, that's your personal things, uh, just basic demographics. And then you go through and you answer questions, you know, are, are you a felon? Are you able to have a, you know, are you able mm-hmm. to possess a gun and all these other things that would There's uh, a list negate of prohibited you from persons. being able to do that? Yes, mm-hmm. prohibitive persons. Um and then from there is that record keeping that I, you know, I hang on to those things afterwards. And that, well, that's, there's a lot of misunderstanding on record keeping and what all gets sent up to the ATF. And when uh, you have to do a background check or who has to do a background right. check. Um, yeah, because there's uh, a lot of people think that there's some kind of, you know, big registry on it. And it's not that it's more so if your name is on a list of hey you can't prohibit this they're running their check against that list mm-hmm. well making there, sure there is a specific list they do keep um regarding handguns and the frequency of purchase isn't there right there is a well and that's kind of left up to the dealer as well of like within a five business day period you know if you purchase two handguns you know i need to be tracking that and if so notify local law enforcement and the atf wow I didn't know that. That's that's some surprise information for our listeners. Um, Just in case you forgot, it's 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt, talking to uh, gunsmith Adam Turcott and attorney Alex Vollmer. And we were just uh, going through what it was like to apply for a federal firearms license and uh, how he uses that license to uh, maintain... um, eligibility within his uh, gun smithing shop. So what about those people that um, it's so easy to apply for the FFL? Um, Alex calls these kitchen table or garage type FFLs. Is, um, is there like a whole bunch of 
federal firearms licenses out there just by individuals? What do you think, Alex? Well, I think that there are – when people refer to the kitchen table FFL, they really refer to people that are trying to get an FFL because they either want to be able to say on specific regulated items that are otherwise impossible to get or do transfers for convenience. They don't really run it quite like a business. Um, it's but the same really, license. Really, it's a business license it's the for same. firearms. Yeah, it's the same thing. Okay, so we're going to take a break. A couple of minutes, and then we'll come back and we'll talk more about some of the myths, uh, those regulations uh, that an FFL has to comply with, and we'll talk about some of the so-called loopholes that the new president wants to close. So stay with us. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt, your host. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, live today. And I'm here with uh, gunsmith Adam Turcott and attorney Alex Vollmer. We've been talking about gunsmithing and the federal firearms license. Uh, now I'd like to talk about uh, myths about the federal firearms license. Uh, who wants to take the first one about um the trace call okay so one of the big myths is uh, do a background check and people think that all their information is you know sent up to the atf and the atf knows that i have this clock 19 serial number blah 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 that's not the way it works the way it works is you know they say you know we do a background check send up alex volmer's information um everything comes back all they know is you filled out a 4473 for a handgun that's it. Um, the 4473 being the, the background form. check form, yes. And they use some type of system. What, what's it, that called? It basically yeah. goes through the FBI uh, National, it, the NICS. In, yeah, yeah, National Instant section. Check System. Yeah. And uh, they run just run your name against it uh, and make sure right, he's not on a list of prohibited persons. Um, from there, it's all that information of Glock 19 serial number, that stays with me. Uh, and that stays in my books, and that gets filed away. As far as the ATF knows, all they know is Alex Fulmer got a handgun. That's it. Mm -hmm. Now, if for some reason, say, that handgun gets stolen or whatever, used in a crime, mm -hmm. okay, and they pick it up and they go, okay, here's a Glock 19 serial number this, then they can run what they call a trace. And that is, you know, they'll say, all right, they'll go to Glock. Okay, Glock, here, based on this serial number, you give it to this wholesaler. For this wholesaler, you give it to this person. And then it goes all the way down to the FFL that it last ended up at, say, 10X Arms. And then from there, they can contact me and go, hey, on this day, you were transferred this Glock 19. We need your background check form, your 4473. Oh, okay. Because we need to be able to get in touch with who I sold it to. Mm -hmm. I have so, an anecdotal experience with that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I purchased a handgun and then uh, decided I didn't want it. I wanted to get something else, and I sold it back. I sold it to a, another uh, gun store here in town, an FFL. And mm -hmm. so the transfer to me was there was a background check, and then I sold it to an FFL, and he did all his paperwork, entered it into his books, and it was sold. 
again. So you're relieved of all responsibility. I mean, I would have been relieved of all responsibility anyway, but there's a record of it. Yeah. So that was nice because I think it made its way into someone else's hands, and I think it was then stolen and used in a crime. But having that trace, knowing that, you know, there was a chain of title, sort of, mm-hmm. um, it was nice to know that nobody was going to be calling me asking uncomfortable questions. I guess if you don't even if, – if you're not going to do it that way, you could have your attorney draw up a bill of sale. Absolutely. Something then like that. A very common practice to have a bill of sale in a private transaction mm-hmm. and get a copy of the driver's license. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that way you don't get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, there's another myth about doing background checks for no reason. What is that? Uh, yeah. So I will have people, you know, I guess you know, family drama or something, and they're like, hey, uh, can I give you this guy's information? I want to check out and see how he's like, no, can't do that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's it, that if I run a check through the NIC system, the FBI system, um, all it is telling me proceed or deny or delay there's no – I don't get any information from it, and so I can't turn around and just run a background check mm-hmm. willy-nilly. You know, it's, it, it doesn't it really tied give, to a purchase. It doesn't really give you somebody's background. Right. It's a green light or a red light. Yes. Or, well, there's a yellow light too. Yes. Well, since you right. brought it up, what does that mean? What does the delay mean? Uh, so this past year has been pretty crazy. Uh, the gun industry is through the roof. Um, sometimes it could be that there's so many background checks being conducted that they just can't get to it immediately. And so they will do a, a delay. And so it's not telling me yes or no one way or another. It gives me a certain number of days, um, to where I hang on to it and I'm waiting for an answer. Now at the end of that time period, um, it's like three business days. If you don't get an answer. If I don't get an answer, it's really on me. You know, if mm-hmm. I feel that Alex is an okay guy, you know, I'm pretty sure that the answer that I'm going to get eventually from the FBI is I've never a been proceed. Delayed, by the way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, well, then I can go ahead and conduct the transfer. And if, there is a way to speed things up so that you don't have to worry about delays or even the, the background check right mm. if you get your license to carry license to carry helps i still have to you know we would still have to fill out the information on the 4473 but there is a section there where i can check hey because he has a license to carry and he's already gone through that process of background check through the state of texas and everything else um, we just have to fill out the paperwork and he's good to go yeah, so that would make it faster. You don't have to worry about it's delays. It's so much nicer. I've yeah. seen it at the gun shows. Mm-hmm. The the but, person just puts their yeah. license to carry there, and and everything goes but through. But you still have to fill that form out. You mm-hmm. still have to fill out the form, and it carries added responsibility. It's, hey, we know that you've taken this course. Uh, so because you've taken that course, you've been given this knowledge, and so with knowledge comes responsibility. You can't turn around and be like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't know. No, you mm-hmm. took that course and you filled this box out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because yeah. it's a crime to intentionally, intentionally, to knowingly lie on a forty-four seventy-three. Mm-hmm. So you can't say you didn't know. You've been educated, right? So okay. So the next myth is about silencers. So many. yeah, silencers is one of those. Uh, a lot of your old, old school guys 
um, yeah, just not their thing because they didn't grow up with it. You know, um, Hollywood has really skewed our vision of what a suppressor or a silencer does. Like in John uh, Wick. Right. There was a recent video yeah. said John Wick with realistic silencers. <laughs> it's mm. pretty funny because they're just – nobody would miss it. Let's just say that. They'd hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're they're not silent by any means. I mean you can get some 22s that are pretty dang quiet, but you're not going to really do anything with that. Uh, here in Texas and especially you know, this area, we do a lot of hunting, and that's where a suppressor silencer on your rifle comes in handy. One, I have a hard time hearing as it is. Tinnitus is awful. Uh, yeah, but why make it worse? And two, it also for the local population of animals, I can shoot, say, I can shoot a hog over here, and I don't scare away all the deer over here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they all stick around. They're not gone for the next quarter mile. Yeah. Um, so that really comes in handy. It, I mean, so it helps with, yeah, of course, sound mitigation. Um, and it actually does help with some accuracy. You do gain a little bit of velocity, despite what video games teach people. And that's it's another better. That's yeah. another myth too: is that silencers decrease accuracy. No. They have no effect on accuracy. They might change how the components of your gun work together. But um, the the myth that silencers reduce power comes from the fact that to make the most out of them, people use subsonic ammunition, which is has to travel at a slower speed and right. speed is power in guns so yeah it, it, and in all actual uh, when they do test you'll get anywhere from 50 to 100 additional feet per second velocity wise so it that transfers into better accuracy typically if okay. it's if it's mounted properly and yeah everything else is there's well you mentioned many something ways that they can be messed up right at the beginning of the show about uh threading for, for the silencer, so you you can't just put a suppressor on any gun you want. You have to have somebody, like, thread it for you. Right, and quality threads. Mm-hmm. There's there's some uh, channels <laughs> dedicated just to looking at bad ones. It's, <laughs> it's pretty impressive what some people can do. Um, but that's where I come in, you know. it's I have top-notch equipment that I could turn out some really clean threads and that's ex- where your accuracy matters. And explain the consequences of a poor threading job and oh, a suppressor. You'll, yeah, you'll launch that can downrange. Oh, uh, really? You'll yeah, blow it off your gun because easily. It, it mounts crooked. Yeah. Well, so now that you brought that up, I, I was reading this court oh, case, yeah. um, Olympic Arms versus Green, um, just, to, just to show you what a, a bad gunsmithing mm. job can result in um it was a court case where somebody uh had a gun worked on uh they went hunting it it blew off his thumb and injured a couple of his fingers and so he sued uh everybody that had uh, been a part of that uh, transaction all the way back to the manufacturer and uh, the the result of that case is not really uh, impressive or um, out of the ordinary. I just wanted to mention it so that our audience would go to a gunsmith that they know does good work because you, you don't want this to happen to you. You don't want a negligent person to work on your yeah. guns. Right. They're, well, and that's part of you know having an LLC 
and the FFL, you have that added responsibility of making sure that people are safe. Sometimes you just have to tell people no. Hey, you know, we do don't want to do this. Sounds safe. Here's a better way to do this to make sure that we're doing it right and safe for not and just your hands and yourself, but for the firearm itself. And legally. Yes. Okay, so we're going to take our final break, and when we come back, we'll talk about our legacy segment, talk about uh, family heritage, and uh, about estate planning and how you can pass down uh, your legacy firearm collection to those you love in the most safe way possible. Stay tuned. If you recently moved to Texas from out of state, your current will, trust, and power of attorney may need to be reviewed and updated. Wills and powers of attorney are state-specific, so it might be a good idea to meet with a Texas attorney. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trust, and powers of attorney. They'll develop a strategy to tax-efficiently protect and preserve your assets, reduce family conflict, and maximize government benefits. Call today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. We're here with uh, gunsmith Adam Turcott with uh, 10X Gunsmithing here in San Antonio and attorney Alex Vollmer talking about gunsmithing and federal firearms license. Uh, So as we're nearing the end of our show talking about our legacy segment, uh, Adam, why don't you share with us uh, some special project you've been working on? Okay, so I really enjoy the refinishing, turning around and doing, uh, you know, getting it back down to clean metal, getting off all the old rust and pitting and doing, I like doing hot bluing, you know, which is factory finish what, bluing. What is blue? Uh, it's rust. It is controlled rust, essentially. It's I mean, a finish on the firearm to, right. pr- to help protect and prevent corrosion. That in the future. old school blue that you would see on a rifle, whether it's hunting rifle, a pistol, whatever, that's rust. That is been done in a controlled fashion to where it seals the pores of the steel and creates a protective layer to it. Okay. And it looks good. It looks yeah. great. It's, done it's not really a blue, right? I mean, uh, the it color can have blue? a blue tint. There's different mm-hmm. chemicals and things that you can mix with it um, to give you different colors. And but most, most guns look black. Right. And it's kind of like how navy navy coats can look almost black. They can right. be so dark blue. Uh-huh. That's the kind of blue it is. Yeah. yeah, Different chemicals will give you a different look, whether it's the old Colt style or, yeah, the black look of a lot of what you see today. Um, but in turning around and uh, taking an old firearm that's, I mean, literally, the one I'm working on right now is 100 years old. Turn around and finishing it up, and we're going to blue it. We're going to go through the stock kind of like we did on one for your dad mm-hmm. and just make it look, nice, look real nice. The grains on this wood is just beautiful. But the cool thing uh, the other day is I took off the uh, recoil pad on it, and I opened it up, and there is a license, an old duck hunting license, oh, duck really? stamp, and hunting license. Uh, from the 50s 
that you know yeah this is literally grandpa's gun and right. that's where he kept all his stuff mm-hmm. and so it's it's part of that uh, the legacy of when i'm finished with this and bluing's finished and all the stock repair and work is done uh we're gonna kind of set that out and uh, present that to the family as mm-hmm. well so i bet they found that pretty special yeah i've i've only told one person in the family like hey man you gotta check this out <laughs> and so he's he's gonna run with it there and make a big presentation out of it and everything speaking of inheriting um firearms um you had a, a, a story that you wanted to hypothetically so, talk about yeah my question would be more to you guys because i was uh in this scenario the other day I have a customer call he's like hey i have this buddy uh, could be him for all i know <laughs> but um asking I, for a friend right. right asking for a friend uh father passed away you know who's you know 90 years old when he passes mm-hmm. who served in world war ii and in his serving brought back an old german machine gun you know an stg 44 that had apparently been locked in granddad's safe for the last 60 70 years mm-hmm. as far as the family knows not registered can't find any paperwork on it so they're calling me and that's where I would turn around and be like, Alex, help call, me out call here. Call a lawyer. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. How how best for the family to handle that situation? We'll start with why why there's a question, Alex. What is it about this weapon that so, makes concern? So this is a machine gun. It's a fully automatic. You pull and hold the trigger. It fires until it's out of ammo. Um, so... They have to be regulated, right? They are. They are highly regulated. And the bottom line is, if it wasn't registered to a civilian before the cutoff date, if, if there wasn't a transfer or an approval to make one, uh, if you don't have a tax stamp for it, that the registration was done before May 17th, 1986, was when they closed the machine gun registry. No new manufactured machine gun uh, can be registered and be civilian transferable, and no prior manufactured machine gun that wasn't already registered can be transferable. So if it wasn't registered before that date in May in 1986, you can't register it. So, And you're not allowed to possess it if it's it, not registered. It, exactly. You're not allowed to possess it if it's not registered. Um, that is owning an illegal machine gun, you will go to prison. No, no. Can you just apply for the uh, the NFA uh, tax stamp? No, you can't because it has to have been registered to somebody before the cutoff date in 1986. So, um, I mean, actually, it would have – in that scenario, it was probably actually just an illegal machine gun. And so because it wasn't – there's nobody to transfer it from either a manufacturer or somebody who previously registered it. Um, so you just can't have it. You just can't have it. Unfortunately, you just in that call situation, the ATF and they'll come pick it up. Yep. And you're going to just uh, breaks my heart. Cause that mm. is probably in the rarest of the rarest no. class of, I mean, it's the unicorn, the Holy grail, everything 
that that particular machine gun. Yeah, that's a rough one. Mm. Maybe it'll go to some museum. And that you can do. You can give it to the ATF because what they'll do is they'll destroy it. But there's a certain way they can destroy it. There are certain guidelines when you destroy a machine gun. Like you have to cut it in the receiver at at least three points with a torch that takes at least a quarter of the material out of it. So it can't be easily rewelded or rebuilt. But if they cut it, they can do it. Like so you cut it in a cutaway section so you can see the way um, the mechanism works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, donate it to a museum, put it on display. And that's, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you can get a tax write-off for that, but at least the legacy lives on mm-hmm. right? in history mm-hmm. and donated by. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so Adam, I like to ask some tough questions in this uh, <laughs> segment. Um, share as much or as little about your personal life as you want to. Um, I like to ask our guest, how would you like to be remembered, or what's a f- uh, unique family heirloom that you would like to pass on? Uh, who do you think you would pass it on to? Uh, so I have a young daughter uh, who's growing so fast it's making my head spin. They do that. Um, one of the the first restoration I ever did was an old Mossberg 22 bolt action. And this was from my grandfather to my dad. My dad, you know, was an Eagle Scout and would do NRA competitions with this bolt action 22. It's what he taught me to shoot on Very before cool. I joined the military. And it's now, after I've refinished it, cleaned it up and everything, it's now what I've taught my young daughter to shoot on. Um, and so that's one of those moments, like, you know, as a dad out there mm-hmm. at the range. And then, she, you know, she shoots, uh. and it's just work through all those butterflies and then walk out there and see the target. And it's just, just dialed oh, in perfectly. I'm just like, as a proud dad moment, like, oh, that's right. 22. I love it. Um, 22's the gateway caliber. <laughs> yeah, my, oh, I got her hooked. I got her hooked good. Um, but I like those, like, passed down generationally. Um, I, something like that is something that I know she's going to end up with. And there's others that I'm working on for her own legacy. Um, I, I to me, those are the priceless things. That There's a lot of memories that go with shooting, either at the range or you can remember all the uh, animals that you've harvested yep. with that an- with that uh, firearm. Alex, tell us quickly about wh- what's the best way to pass these firearms down so that the executor or trustee doesn't accidentally uh, transfer to a prohibited person. So the easiest way to do it is absolutely with a trust Um if you're not interested in having a specific NFA trust to hold and possess NFA firearms, um, you know, you don't have to have one of those to, to plan for the legacy of these firearms. Uh, so what a trust does is it allows you to far in advance determine who you want things to go to, how you want them to be taken care of and distributed and preserve it like if you have a collection you can say it can't be sold it has to be distributed it can't be liquidated and the cash split you have to distribute it by number of items Um, it provides for whether or not if somebody's a prohibited person you know that can't own a firearm it addresses that kind of thing and Almost most importantly, it's a non-probate asset, meaning if you have these firearms in a trust, 
you don't have to go to court, get a will probated or, you know, forbid that you don't have a will and we have to do an intestate probate on you uh, or for your family. Um, you just no judicial supervision, no whatsoever. judicial supervision. You you uh, you know, the person you name as your trustee has a duty to make sure that the person they're giving them to isn't disqualified by law, like by having a conviction or mental instability, but, um, you just distribute them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Call Mark Hort law firm. An attorney can answer your questions about that. Uh, Adam, I noticed on your Instagram account, you have a certain description about, uh, a song that Mark's going to play. I want to ask you about why that's important to you. God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So share with us a little bit about why that's meaningful. Oh, it's so fitting uh, for... This past year we've been through, uh, the looks like the year we're going into, <laughs> and uh, I just try to remember the good things, stay focused on the positive. Um, one of the things I like about my business is I base it really all off word of mouth. You know, I get sent good people from good people. Um, well, tell us your phone number, your email. So the best way to contact me if you needed any you know questions, uh, firearms work would be uh, my number is 210-462-6401, or you can send me an email at gunsmith at 10xarms.com. Uh, those are the easiest ways we go from there. Um, and if you have any questions about a gun trust to either acquire NFA-regulated firearm or to pass down your firearm legacy, contact Alex at Marquardt Law Firm, 210-530-4278. He even has some ideas that might help speed up that NFA application process that other uh, gun trust uh, creators might not know about. So it's always best to have a relationship with your attorney, uh, especially one uh, that's going to help comply with government regulations. Uh, See you next week.